So this morning, as we uh, come to today's message, um, this is kind of what I think is, in many ways, the, the kind of the final psalm, specifically psalms message that we will have out of our series, out of the book of Psalms, which we have been through for this entire year. And I don't know what it was, but a few days ago I had a dream. Well, maybe more of a nightmare. Um, and I, I had a dream in which I wasn't prepared for today's message. Like I was trying to get prepared, but there was always these interruptions that were happening. And, and I, don't, I don't remember fully what the interruptions were. All I know is I just kept saying, I got to get, get this message ready. I got to get this message ready. And it just kept getting interrupted and interrupted and interrupted. And I, I, I woke up and I was scared for a minute thinking, I don't have a message. I don't have a message for, for today. And, and luckily, I, I got my bearing straight, and, and okay, okay, it's okay, Dan, it's only Tuesday or Wednesday. You've, you've got time. You've got time. I don't know what, if anything, there's any symbolism or any meaning behind that dream other than, have you ever come into a situation that believing you weren't fully prepared for the message or fully prepared to do what you were supposed to be doing, whether it was a test that maybe you had to take or a homework assignment you had to get done, or a work project that needed to be completed, but, or even started. But it, it's kind of a scary thing. And more than that, what are the, conses- what are the consequences going to be? Like, what is, what is your boss going to say if you don't have that project done or even started? What, what is your spouse going to say if you don't have that project done that, that's, that your spouse has been wanting you to have? And by the way, just by observation when it comes to marriages in general. I have generally, and this is a general term observed, that when it comes to marriages, there tends to be one spouse that starts things, really good at starting things, right? And then there's another spouse that has to come in and, you know, finish it up. You know what I'm saying? There's one that loves to go in there and just start new things, and then there's the other spouse that comes in and finishes it up. And, and so it's just a, it's a really neat balancing dynamic, if you will. It's like, it's like two halves becoming whole as a result of the fact that there are just differences among couples. And so nonetheless, I, I just was thinking about what is it that are the consequences of not being prepared or thinking what will happen if I don't do this? How will that person that I am answerable to respond? What will that person do to me? What will be the consequences of my failure to act, etc., etc., etc.? I want you to keep that in mind as we go to today's message into the book of Psalms. And as we do, just by way of reminder about this beautiful book of Psalms, that we have been going through for almost the entire year of 2023, um, is that it is just a beautiful, beautiful book. I love how one author, Kevin Swanson, he says this about the book of Psalms. He says this, there are many themes found in the book of Psalms that are generally not found in modern music, okay? These include the fear of God, the righteousness and justice of God, the sovereignty of God, the judgment of God, the evil of sin, spiritual and physical warfare, the arch enemies of the Christian, the destruction of the wicked, the reality of hell, the blessedness of the church, the vicious attacks upon the church, the commandments of God, the dominion of of David's son, and so on. 
Without the backdrop of these truths, the themes of love, mercy, faith, and salvation become largely meaningless. I would imagine we don't hear a lot of modern songs about those things because they wouldn't sell. Right? They would not sell. And yet, there is something about the depth and understanding that without understanding these themes that I think the book of Psalms takes us through, the ups and downs of our relationship with God, the times in which we are in the wilderness, the times in which we are crying out to God, how long, God, must I go through this suffering? How long must I go through without you giving me an answer? To the other opposite end of that spectrum, to God, you are, as we were singing today, the most glorious God in the entire universe. There is no one like you. And yes, relationships go from ups and downs with each other and with God as well. And I love how the book of Psalms just reflects that reality. And yet against all of that backdrop, still in the book of Psalms, is the themes of love, mercy, faith, and salvation. It is a beautiful, beautiful book of poetry, of songs. And so this morning, as we in some ways kind of conclude this series before we enter into our Advent series next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Psalm 100. It's only five verses. Only five verses. That's it. And yet there's a depth to these verses that are amazing. And as we go to this psalm this morning, Psalm 100, I want to share with you that out of all of this understanding of who God is, there was a book published not long ago that was titled America's Four Gods, What We Say About God and What God and What That Says About Us. And the authors of this book were sociologists, and they lay out kind of the four dominant views we as Americans have of God. In their study, they came out with four dominant views that we as Americans, Americans have of, not people in general, Americans have of God. And the four views are this. We have a view that of an authoritarian God, and that is basically a, a God who has divine judgment, revealed truth, all this kind of stuff. The God that says, if you step out of line, zap kind of thing, you will be judged kind of thing. Uh, a benevolent God, um, you know, is a loving and not judgmental God. The critical God, the, the critical God is a, is a God who, who delays judgment and little engagement with the world and is out there just to simply point out everything that we've done wrong kind of thing. And finally, the distant God, the God who put everything in motion and then stood back and said, okay, I'm out kind of thing. Those four dominant views that they found that we as Americans have about God. And here's the interesting thing. Depending upon what view we might embrace of who God is can largely impact our thinking of our world around us and those around us, our politics, etc., etc., etc. In other words, what we think about God, whether or not we realize it, can have a deep impact on the way we view our world and everything that's in it. And it's really important that we oftentimes get a, I don't know if I want to say, a, a correct view is, is, is the best phrase I can come up with. The right view. Um, it, you know, because that, that I, I hesitate that because what is the right view? We're going to find out today. But nonetheless, here is these, these four different types of God, and perhaps you have, have kind of grabbed on to one of those views of God. Maybe for you, you, you grabbed onto that benevolent God and you believe that God is just this good, gracious, loving God and he is, he is, really, he truly is. 
Or maybe, depending upon how you were raised, and maybe even the, the church maybe you were raised in or the churches that you've experienced, maybe you've come to adopt the judgmental God, the one who is there and always judging you. And then the fact that what you're doing or what you're saying or what you're thinking is wrong or out of line or out of step and that you can never do anything right kind of thing. Uh, maybe you have adopted the critical, the, the critical God, the one who, you know, is just there just to continue to just harass you and criticize you and say, you are no good. You are no good. Or maybe you've adopted the distant God. Yeah, I believe in a higher power but he's really not involved in my life. I mean, he's there, but I really don't have much interaction with him, right? That can have profound impact on how we view our world. Now, juxtapose that with kind of the four main qualities that we understand God as cited in Scripture. That God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. That he is omniscient, right? That he is all-knowing that he is um, all-powerful, that, that he is just um, all-omnipotent, all and finally, that he is good, he's omnibenevolent. Here's the thing. If you're confused and you find yourself going, oh man, Dan, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in, understanding all of who God is as cited in the scriptures versus the four gods that maybe we as Americans have maybe kind of grasped onto and do those things match up. And, and out of all of that, what I want to do this morning, and I think what Psalm 100 does is such a beautiful job, is kind of cut through all of those things, all of those theological concepts versus what we experience maybe in our own culture here in this country, and kind of says, how does God present himself to us, embracing, in many ways, all of the qualities as cited in the scriptures, not the four gods that we as Americans might embrace, but more importantly, the, the qualities that are embraced in scripture. How does God present himself to us? What is the most common way that God presents himself to us to help us understand who he is? And I, I've got a hint for you, it's not a baby, okay? That's an important, that's an important way he does it. But I would, I, would, I would say to you, it is perhaps not the most common way. It's not the way, it's not the dominant way. It is a way, it is not the most dominant way that I think God presents himself to us. And so this morning, what I hope that we will be able to discover and learn as we look at this beautiful psalm is how does God present himself to us? embracing the qualities of who he is. Now, I titled today's message, Our God Reigns. When I came up with that title, I said to myself, Self, I think you've had a message titled like that before in this past year. So I look back, and sure enough, I did. In February, I had a, I had a message titled, you've all forgotten about it. I know how it is. <laughs> I know how it is. By, by the way, by this afternoon, you will have forgotten most of what was shared here this morning. That's, I get it. I get it. It's okay. No, I'm, I take no offense at it, okay? Um, but nonetheless, I sure enough had a title, Our God Reigns, back in February, and that was on Psalm 99. Yeah. Um, so today, here's the title, Our God Reigns, Part 2. That's it. Original. Okay, just really original. But here is, as we go into this psalm, I want us to discover 
How does God present himself to us? And my hope is, is that whatever image you might have in your mind, that whatever, whatever image or whatever concept you have right now about how God presents himself, about who God is, that hopefully maybe one of two things will happen today, or maybe even three. One is this, that what we see here in this psalm will affirm it, that what we see in this psalm will change it, or what we see in this psalm will, once, will maybe even help you discover it. Maybe you don't have any concept of God. Maybe today you'll have a better idea. Does that make sense? So let's dive into this passage, into this psalm, Psalm 100, and discover how it is that God expresses himself. And here is the dominant way that I think God expresses himself, not only in this psalm, but throughout scripture. And it's this, God expresses himself as a shepherd. As a shepherd. Take a look at what Psalm 100, beginning with verse 1, says. I'm just going to read the first three verses of this psalm. It's a thanksgiving psalm, very appropriate for this week. Shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I love that. I love how, how, how the author of the psalm starts out with a declaration, with an invitation, with a calling, if you will, for us to shout out our praises to the Lord, all the earth, and to worship the Lord with joy. Here's the beautiful thing about the word worship here in the scriptures. The word worship in the context in which it is used here oftentimes means simply this. It means action on our part, to toil, to work, to serve. That is what worship means. In other words, worship is not a passive activity. Worship is not something we just necessarily come in and just stand and sing. That's an important part of it. That's part of worship. That's an incredibly important part of worship. And then listen to a message and then pray prayers. It is also involving ourselves in working and toiling and serving God in ways that would far go beyond whatever it is that we may do in this room here this morning. And that's an important thing for us to discover. In other words, worship isn't limited to what we do on a Sunday morning in a church service. Worship continues long after that service has concluded, long after we have left this building, and also involves everything we do outside of this when we are with our family, when we're with our coworkers, when we are at the store shopping, or whatever else we are doing on the internet browsing, whatever it is that we are doing, that is all worship. That is all worship. Worship is never limited to just simply something that is done on a Sunday morning. It is something we do all the time. And we need to understand that. We need to embrace it. I love how um, author and, and pastor John Piper defines worship. He says this, Worship is an inward feeling and an outward action that reflects the worth of God. So here's a question for you all. Is this past week, hmm, you were with family and friends at Thanksgiving. Oh, perfect, perfect training ground to worship God, right? With relatives that maybe some of those relatives just know how to just push your buttons, Right? You were with relatives and friends that, and some of them, you're just like, man, I'm only, I'm so glad I only see you once a year or twice a year. That's it. All right. 
that, that they just know how to press your buttons. And my question to you this morning is, how did you do in those moments when your buttons were being pushed? What did you, how did you respond? Were you still in an act of worship, in a posture of worship, toiling away? Sometimes doing those things is hard work. Sometimes doing that and, and being able to navigate those kinds of tough situations where people are, are, are just getting us amped up. Sometimes it's hard to navigate what it is we're supposed to do in those situations. And sometimes the best thing to do is just simply to walk away and not to engage, that kind of stuff. But my question to you is, during this week, when you were shopping for food, when you were shopping maybe for presents, when you were with your family, how well did you do at worshiping God in those moments, toiling and serving him? That's the beautiful thing about what the author here of this psalm says. Praise him, worship the Lord with joy, and enter his presence with joyful singing. And then he goes on and he says the reason why we should do this. He doesn't have to give us reasons, but he, he does. He says this in verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God because he made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, here's an interesting question. What's his pasture? What's his pasture? Maybe it's the world, absolutely. But enter his courts with thanksgiving. This is all temple, temple uh, analogies. This is all about the temple, that in Jerusalem, all about coming into his courts, all about coming into his presence at the temple. The pasture is the courtyards. The pasture is the gathering places of his people. That is, that is his, his pasture. That is where we get to be with him. God is a shepherd. He presents himself to us as a shepherd. That's what he does. And, and here's the thing. He's not just any shepherd. And this goes on to the second point. God expresses himself as a good shepherd. God expresses himself as a good shepherd. This is what it says at the last two verses of Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give him thanks. Praise his name. For the Lord is good. His loyal love endures and he is faithful through all generations. Our God is a good shepherd. He is incredibly loyal to us even when we are not faithful to him. He still pursues us even when we are not loyal to him. Let me just share with you a couple of passages that kind of reaffirm this. Isaiah 53 6 says this, all of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us has strayed off on his own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. That's beautiful. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16 says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, Look, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a cloudy, dark day. I will bring them out from among the people and gather them from foreign countries. I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and all the inhabited places of the land. In a good pasture, I will feed them. The mountain heights of Israel will be their pasture. They will, they will lie down in lush pasture. They will feed on rich grass on the mountains of Israel. I myself will feed my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will seek the lost and bring back the strays. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. And finally, John 10, 
11 through 18, says this. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd, he says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have no other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I'm sorry, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is how Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd. Now, that being the case, there are images that come to my mind of Jesus being the good shepherd. There are paintings that maybe you have seen of Jesus being the good shepherd. Let me just show you one of those paintings this morning. It's a painting or a, 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 a do you have that? You do. I don't see it on the back screen. So, um, yeah. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Jesus takes us up on his shoulders. And it's a beautiful, beautiful imagery of, of, of Jesus taking a lamb. And, and we're like his children, right? And we're like his children. And he takes us up on his shoulders and he, he carries us back to the rest of the flock when we have gone away. And it's a beautiful imagery of Jesus being such a wonderful, beautiful, this is the most common imagery I think of when I think of Jesus as the good shepherd. How many of you have maybe seen a picture like this or something similar, right? Yeah, Jesus is the good shepherd. I wish it was like that all the time. I'm setting you up in case you don't know it, okay? But the reality is a little bit more messier, I think. Let me show you another picture of a sheep. This is Shrek, the sheep. In 2004, he was finally found after escaping and wandering the hills, the caves, and the area land in New Zealand for over six years. He got out, and he wandered. In that time, as you can see, he grew over 60 pounds of wool in that time. That's amazing. He got into all kinds of stuff. It's amazing that he survived even that long. But he got out and he wandered. And he wandered and he wandered and he wandered and he got into all sorts of trouble and stuff, nonetheless, of carrying around 60 pounds of wool. That is crazy. And when he was finally found, I mean, it was amazing to see. And, and, and of course, the first thing is that the, the shepherd had to take care of all that. Now, let me just give you this image. There ain't no way Jesus is, hike, is, is, is picking up that sheep on his shoulders. This is not that imagery of, oh, come on back, little lamb. This is, whoa, where you been? <laughs> this is an entirely different situation here. This is an entirely different situation. I love how one uh, person uh, put it, Tiberius, he says this, it is the duty of the good shepherd to shear the sheep, not to skin them. I love that, that. There are times that, man, we, 
We, like Shrek the lamb, or Shrek the sheep rather, have wandered off. And we got into stuff. And we got messed up. And we got stuff on us. And I love the fact that the imagery that is more important to me is not the fact that Jesus puts me on his shoulders and carries me back, but the fact that Jesus even still pursues me at all. And the fact that Jesus, when he finds me, he says, wow, whoo. He doesn't say, man, I, I, got, I got nothing for you. And he doesn't say, where have you been? What did you do? How could you have done this? Well, your fault. You live with it. You grew that much wool, good luck, you know, too bad, there's nothing I can do for you, out of here. That, that, that's the critical God, that's the judgmental God, that's the distant God, right? But there is a view of God that I think is accurate, that omnibenevolent, that benevolent God that says, oh, hey, you've been gone a long time, I am so glad you're back home, let's get you cleaned up. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. You're going to look a little weird. Okay, I grant you that. It's going to look a little weird, but you know what? Let's get you cleaned up. People may not even recognize you after I'm done shearing you, but I'm not going to slay you. I'm not going to skin you. I'm just going to cut off the bad parts here. And it's going to look weird, and it's going to feel weird, and it's, going to, it's not going to feel right either. But let's get you... That's... That's the good shepherd. That's the good shepherd that I think is presented here in Psalm 100. And so even out of all the things that, that the author of the psalm shares with us about why we should praise God, that he created us and that he, he, he cares for us, perhaps the main reason, perhaps in this psalm, that we ought to also praise him is the fact that he is a, a good, good shepherd. And in that imagery is this beautiful picture of who God actually is in many ways embracing all of the qualities as cited in scripture about who he is there perhaps is no better of an imagery than that of a shepherd and by the way if you ever want to be good in leadership and I, I haven't seen many books on this they may exist but I haven't read many books on this no one ever says if you want to get ready to lead people be a shepherd first Go ahead and, and spend time with sheep. Have you, have you ever discovered in Scripture that those who would eventually become king or lead God's people almost usually, not always, but almost always became shepherds first? Think about Moses, right? Moses, when he left Egypt the first time and he's out in the wilderness, he's working for his father-in-law Jethro. And what is he doing? He's tending sheep. And in Moses' mind, that's probably what he was happy to do for the rest of his life. What he didn't realize is it was just simply training ground for the fact that God was going to call him and says, Oh, yeah, you've led sheep. Boy, do I have a flock for you to lead. David, the second king of Israel. By the way, Saul was also um, a shepherd, but we don't talk about that very much. But he was. But David also. But the interesting thing about David is that when Samuel goes to anoint the next king, of course, we know this story, and Jesse has all his sons lined up, and, and, and Samuel's looking at him, and he's like, oh, that's a good king right there. Man, he looks the part. He is out of central casting. That guy is the next king. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. 
Don't you look at the outward appearance. I look at people's hearts. And he goes through all the sons, and God says, nope, 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 nope. And, and finally, he turns to Jesse and says, hey, is this all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, no, there's another guy. Kind of the run to the litter. What's he doing? Where is he? He's out tending to the sheep. Bring him in. We won't sit until he's brought in. That's the next king of Israel. Do you ever notice that good, good training ground to be a leader in the scriptures oftentimes involves being a shepherd? It's, it's a, Peter writes in, in his letters, he talks about those like myself and other pastors who are going to lead, and he, he likens it, tend to the flock and do not do it begrudgingly as though you are forced to do it, but do it willingly. Do it willingly. In other words, as a pastor or a leader in the church, those of us who are pastors or leaders in the church, whatever it is, and wherever you may be, we are never ever to shepherd God's flock under duress or being forced to do so, but willingly to do so. Willingly to do so. I just want to share with you today, I am not here because you forced me to be here. I'm here because I want to be here, because I believe I'm called to be here. Uh, we were joking yesterday. As you know, Deborah is going to be leaving us at the end of January. And um, yeah, I know. Someone came up to me yesterday and says, Dan, couldn't you have done something? <laughs> joking, right? Joking, right? Couldn't you have done something? And I said, well, I tried to use spiritual abuse. <laughs> I tried to say, God told me. But you know what I said? I said jokingly. I was all joking, y'all. Okay, I'm just, trust me. I, I hope I don't do any sort of thing like that. That's awful, by the way. Bad. But I said, but you know what the funny thing is? God didn't just speak to me. God speaks to her too. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And so oftentimes I have seen and served under leaders and even the, unfortunately under pastors that oh, it was just some, sometimes the way they used their authority was just very, very harmful. It was not good. It was, it was self-serving. I've even, I've even served under, under pastors in which they've used analogies of like football, right? And to this day, I still have that imagery in my mind. And I remember one pastor sharing, you all are, are the, are the um, offensive linemen, and I'm the quarterback. You need to clear the way for me to go in and make the touchdown. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I, I just... Those of us who have the privilege of being in leadership, and by the way, Every single one of us have a, has a sphere of influence. It may be in our families. It may be in our jobs. It may be amongst our friends. We all have leadership in some capacity. And my hope is, as we look at this beautiful psalm, is that the imagery that is before us of who God is and how he presents himself is this incredibly good shepherd is that we also too would embrace that as being a good shepherd. You know what is amazing about the Christmas story that we are coming into now starting next Sunday? Is that when Jesus was born, the angels appeared first to whom? Mary. 
the shepherds. Those who were out in their fields by night, tending to the flocks, making sure they were safe, provided for, all of those things. Every single one of us who have a sphere of influence, my hope and my prayer is, is that we would be able to embrace how God has shown himself to us, that we would be able to show ourselves to others, and that is as a good shepherd. As a good shepherd. J.I. Packer, the late theologian and pastor, said this about God being a good shepherd. He says this, God has not abandoned us any more than he abandoned Job. He never abandons anyone on whom he has set his love, nor does Christ, the good shepherd, ever lose track of his sheep. If you are here today, and God, it seems like he is distant, it seems like he is absent, it seems like he is not involved, I hope and pray that you will understand this, if nothing else. God is very much involved. God is very much involved in your life. He is very much there and present. And there may be reasons that I don't know, that you don't know, that we collectively don't know why he may not be responding right now. But trust me, I believe he will. Trust me, I believe he will work things out for his good because that's the God that we serve. He is a good shepherd. He is a good, good shepherd. Charles Spurgeon says this, We have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank and not because I have a skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. Out of all the things that I hope and pray that we were thankful for this past week, one of the things I hope that we were thankful for is, God, thank you so much for giving me so much. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for allowing me to have a job. Thank you for allowing me to have a family. Thank you for allowing me to have a home. Thank you for allowing me to have all this food. Thank you so much. Now, I played a part in it, but thank you so much that I got to have all of this because of your generosity. So this morning, you might be here And maybe you may have embraced a view of God that may not be accurate. And as a result, maybe you have wandered off. Said, you know what? If that's who God is, I want no part. And I can't blame you. I can't blame you. If you have embraced a view of God that is critical, a view of God that is distant, a view of God that is just simply all the time judgmental. I can't blame you for saying, you know what? I don't want to worship a God like that. I don't want to serve a God like that. I don't blame you. My hope and my prayer this morning is rather that you'd embrace the God who is presented in the Bible. And that is of a good shepherd. good shepherd the one who has created you and I the one who when we have wandered off pursues us and maybe one of the ways he pursues us is that maybe right now in this service maybe you are just realizing the fact that he is pursuing you he is pursuing you I love the story of the prodigal son do you remember that story 
beautiful story about this very wealthy son who had it all and said, Dad, let's pretend right now you're dead. Let me have my inheritance. And he goes off to a foreign land and he squanders it all on loose living, on foolish things. And he gets a job tending to pigs, not exactly a shepherd, but not that distant either. Imagine a Jewish man tending to pigs. The uncleanliness upon the uncleanliness, the dirtiness upon the dirtiness. And as he's tending to these pigs, he's looking at what these pigs are eating. And instead of being repulsed by it, he says, that's looking pretty good. I wish I could just have some of these pods. He couldn't even eat what the pigs were eating. The pigs ate better than he did. And he comes to his senses. And he says, oh, my father has everything. But you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. But I won't go back to him as a son. I'll go back to him as a servant and just ask, can I just, can I just be a servant in your house? I'll live better that way than I would ever in where I am right now. And he rehearses this speech. And he begins to make his way back to his father's house. His father sees him off in the distance. He knows that it's his son. But keep in mind, his son didn't look like what he looked like when he first left. He wandered. He got stuff on him. He was dirty. Ratty. I, I, almost, I would dare to say, probably even unrecognizable to many, if not most people. But not to his dad. Not to his dad. And his dad, in an instant of complete um, inhibition, if you will, makes a fool of himself by taking up his cloak, if you will, and running to his son. Running to his son. And embracing him. His son couldn't even get out his first words. Dad, I... His son embraces, I mean, his father embraces him and says, hey, hey, to his servants, bring out the robe. Bring out sandals for his feet and put that ring, that, that signet ring that is the crest of our family onto his hand and to his finger once again. This was not a sign of him being a servant. This was a sign of him being welcomed fully back in as his son. Oh, and by the way, that fattened calf we've been saving up, kill it. We're going to party. We are going to party. And it's going to be a great day. Do you know who resented it the most? It's not those who wandered off and were brought back home. It was those who should have known better and said, well, what about me? Those who stayed home but still wandered off and didn't realize it. See, you can be in the church all your life and still wander off and not realize it. This morning, wherever you may be, I want to just share with you, our God is a good shepherd, and maybe you have wandered off. You have left. I mean, you have been gone for a long time, and whew, you got stuff on you. I want to tell you today, it can be the beginning of getting cleaned up coming back to our good shepherd, to our father. 
maybe you've been in church for years and years and years, and you know everything about what the Bible, you know all the Sunday school answers. By the way, the Sunday school answers can be boiled down to three answers. God, Jesus, and love. That's it. You want to answer every, almost nearly every Sunday school answer the correct way? Either say God, Jesus, or love. You got it. You know everything. You have done, you've been here, you've done all that kind of stuff, and yet in your heart, you may have wandered off. I want to tell you, you can come back. Right now, you can come back. So this morning, I, I want to invite up our, our pastors, our elders, our prayer team people. And as we sing this last song, I, I just, by extension of invitation, we, don't, we do this occasionally. We're going to do it today. If there is something in your life, maybe you say, yeah, I've wandered off. I'm ready to come back. Would you just be willing to come up? And while we're singing, we, one of us would love to pray with you. Love to affirm on you that son or daughter, you're welcome back home. This is where you should have been all along. And then hopefully in some way you would realize the good shepherd, our father, is here. Get you cleaned up. Get you restored. Get you to understand who you truly are in him. So that's my invitation. As we sing this last song, if you are so moved, come on down. Let us pray with you. Let us even celebrate with you. It's a beautiful thing to know we always have a home. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I am so grateful that out of all of the images that you could have shared and expressed yourself, that you expressed yourself as the good shepherd. That above everything, Jesus, we know how deeply you can care and how deeply you do care for each and every one of us, Jesus. I pray this morning, Father, for any one of us, myself included, that if we have wandered off, if we have gone out, maybe in our hearts or even physically or whatever else way, Jesus, that today we would know we are home. That we can always come back home. That you as a good shepherd will always welcome your children back. Jesus, I pray this morning, may we embrace you as the good shepherd. Because as we have read today in your word, we are your sheep. We are yours and yours alone, Jesus. It's your holy and precious name that we pray.